With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Okay, he's back, one of our favorites. We lean on these guys, uh, elections-daily.com. We were early adapters to them way back in the day, our friend Eric and company, and this man has been on multiple times on the program. You're going to see him a lot this year, I promise you. They do great work. Joe Zemanski, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing well. It's the end of my uh, spring semester here at George Mason. We're just finishing up here, uh, so I'm ready to get. I'm getting ready to head back uh, back home to Pennsylvania. Uh, by the end of uh, this upcoming week, I'm getting ready to head back home to Pennsylvania, where there's going to be a lot of stuff happening there. But I know uh, we want to focus on another uh, key Midwestern state today uh, with their big primary last night in Ohio. Yeah, you'll get home just in time to vote, won't you? Uh, oh, yeah. Let's talk about Ohio. It was a marquee matchup for all the wrong reasons. Let's start with the Senate race. Uh, back home where I come from, we call that a big old hot mess. Uh, our British friends would call it an omni shambles. Uh, I watched your coverage of it on the YouTube channel. You guys do excellent live feeds on these elections nights. I've gotten to watching you folks and your uh, partnership with Decision Desk. Did I detect a little bit of disappointment there when all of a sudden J.D. Vance kind of started pulling away at kind of about the eight o'clock hour or so? Were you surprised that this turned into kind of a comfortable win for him, about a seven, eight point win? You know, I, I think... We had some members of the panel who were more disappointed than others. Uh, you know, personally, I, I didn't think Vance was the worst of the field, personally. Uh, I thought some of the comments made by Josh Mandel and, you know, some just a lot of the stuff that he was saying to try and uh, gain primary support, I thought would actually hurt him more in a general election than anything J.D. Vance has said uh, so far. But I was surprised at how about how comfortable it was becoming. I don't think we expected the election day vote, vote to go that heavily for Vance as it did in a lot of key counties. Uh, he overtook Matt Dolan, who ended up finishing third uh, in a lot of uh, counties through election day vote, where Dolan uh, led with the early vote. And then when election day votes started coming in, uh, that's where Vance had overtaken in a couple of key counties in around the Dayton and Cleveland uh, areas. Uh, so, you know, I think I was surprised by the margin in the end. I wasn't necessarily surprised in the uh, result. Uh, you know, Vance, after the Trump endorsement, had become one of the three favorites. It was pretty clearly by the end of the week, a three-way race between him, uh, Mandel, and Matt Dolan. Uh, you know, and in the end, I think uh, those, undec those undecideds that were left, you know, they looked at the Trump endorsement and said, you know what, J.D. Vance is our guy, going to go in there on election day going to check his name by the ballot. And, uh, you know, it was a race that was close, but it was, I think, the margin of victory for Vance uh, still shows, I think, the effect of the Trump endorsement. Maybe not to the level it used to be, but still shows that effect there and how it can really change a campaign around, uh, especially considering before that endorsement, Vance was pretty uh, clearly languishing around third or fourth place. Yeah, and this one was really clear when I was watching y'all's coverage on elections-daily.com on the YouTube channel. It was really clear cut because, of course, the first returns you get on an election, the way we do things nowadays, is the early voting comes in first, and then you're waiting for the election day stuff, especially the way Ohio had it set up. 
And it was exactly like you said, just as soon as the election day stuff started coming in, especially Cuyahoga County, which is Cleveland area, um, as soon as the election day, it was really apparent within, what, 15, 20 minutes, those first yep. three or four returns that, oh, yeah, the election day had swung to Vance. With credit words, due, that's got to be the Trump endorsement, because like you said, Vance bounced between third and fourth. He was second a couple times. Gibbons took the lead for a while. Mandel had a lead for a while. Dolan kind of had a late surge in a way. There's just no other way to do this. Uh, I don't think J.D. Vance wins this without that endorsement. No, I, I, I think, uh, you know, there was a lot of criticism from people who, who likes the, you know, who like Trump and also uh, people who don't like him the whole bunch, but people in my circle who, who work in both and work in that area who say, you know, Vance was not really running uh, the best campaign uh, until he got the Trump endorsement. A lot of people agree that's where that was really turning around. Uh, you know, without that endorsement, if, you know, Trump endorses someone else like a Mandel or a Gibbons, or if he had stayed out of it completely, uh, I don't think J.D. Vance is the nominee currently, but that's not the world we're living in. Uh, and it shows, I think, the extent that the Trump endorsement works currently. And I think I sh it shows how important it is in, a, in a, such a split field like we had in Ohio. I mean, we, we can't forget Mike Gibbons still got around 13 percent of the vote as well, which is not in such a highly competitive race. It's certainly not a, you know. Uh, on you know a bad number and it's not a number that didn't have an effect on this race yeah Vance won with about 32 33 percent that'll get refined upwards let's call it 35 ish that's not exactly a ringing endorsement but it's a split field like you said okay let's preview the race uh Tim Tim Ryan won very comfortably he won 70 30 ish uh what does that race look like in Ohio he's trying to moderate he's trying to do kind of the classic moderate blue collar little more Youngstown than DC kind of sort of thing for Ohio. How's he going to match up with the new populist nativist JD Vance, who is coming off a big win? You know what? I still think Ohio is going to be one of the hardest, hardest states for Democrats to do anything uh, in 2022. You know, it was a state that voted pretty relatively to the right of the nation uh, in, in 2020, actually. I mean, even though the margin uh, between Trump and Biden was basically the same as it was between Trump and Hillary in uh, 2016, you know, we have to remember the country moved three points to the left in terms of nationwide popular vote uh, compared for, in 2020 compared to 2016. So Ohio is actually more to the right of the nation in 2020 than it was in 2016. You know, this is just a state that's really become very, very hard uh, for Democrats to win. Uh, there's not really expansion in the right areas, uh, parts of suburban areas, and mostly, especially the exurbs uh, in Ohio are very, very deep red. Uh, you still have some very populous areas like Maho uh, populous areas like Mahoning, where Youngstown is, and around the Akron and Canton areas that are trending Republican. And these areas do have a lot of people in them. Ohio has truly kind of just kind of been the basin of this white working class vote uh, trending to Republicans, kind of like Iowa has kind of lost its swing state vote, uh, swing state status in the last two years to become more of a uh, Republican tinge state compared to, you know, 2004, 2008, 2012. So, you know, I think it's gonna be really hard. I think Tim Ryan is definitely the best that Democrats could have gotten in terms of that race, but especially with Mike DeWine coming, uh, winning renomination, he's heading up that governor's ticket again. Uh, you look at the number and total votes between the two primaries. I, I, I just don't see it in Ohio. I think Vance wins relatively comfortably, probably around eight to 10 points. Uh, I think, you know, Ryan, uh, I think does overperform uh, the, the margins that I think we could see in the governor's race. But uh, I think, I think it's going to be very, very hard for him to pull out a win. And the fundamentals 
are really just not there for him. Yeah, I mentioned Youngstown on purpose because uh, Joe Zemanski from Elections Daily joining us. I mentioned Youngstown on purpose because I know you guys, you love your numbers and you love your swing counties. Uh, Mahoning County, uh, which is Youngstown Alliance, that's one of the biggest swing ca- counties in the country. They went Obama, huge Trump, huge back to Biden. It's, I mean, eye-popping numbers, 30, 40-point swings. Isn't that indicative of just how volatile Ohio has been over the last few years? And is that where you start talking about, man, I don't know if Tim Ryan can keep this to single digits or not unless J.D. Vance shoots himself in the foot? Yeah, I think that's that's really going to be the issue. And this is where I think why I do think that actually Vance was a better nominee for Republicans than I think Josh Mandel was. You know, Vance, as much as he's run, you know, run in a certain way, we cannot forget is still a very well-educated individual who, you know, is a, you know, a Yale graduate, you know, this is not a guy who's going to shoot himself in the foot on a debate stage against Tim Ryan, you know, in college, he would have been in that situation. He's gone on book tours before he understands how to talk to people. You know, it's not a hard thing uh, to see, you know, I think Vance do better. I think it's not a hard thing to see him do well. And uh, I, I really do think that, you know, de- we Democrats are kind of overestimating the idea that Vance is going to somehow uh, underperform uh, compared to the compared to the norm that we're starting to see in Ohio. I think that's actually kind of an overrated statement uh, compared to some of the analysts. Now, I would ask you about the Ohio House races, except we didn't have any. Uh, we only had one or two because the maps got hung up in court. Uh, is this something we're going to be seeing in other states? Uh, I know a couple of years ago in North Carolina, we did three elections in 18 months because of the court rulings on maps. Is Are we going to see this in other places going forward? Because a lot of these states, there's still some court holdups. This is probably more dramatic in Ohio than some of these other states are going to be. But is this something we still need to keep an eye on? Well, yeah, obviously, while Ohio, uh, by basically sheer force of refusing to listen to the state Supreme Court, uh, did get their House of Representatives elections uh, to uh, their their congressional maps and their congressional elections going last night, uh, but their state house and state senate uh, races, unlike Indiana, uh, were not able to be completed because those maps still have not been passed yet. We're going to see this problem kind of probably come up in New York, where it looks like they've pushed back uh, congressional and uh, state senate races back to August. But right now, it seems like they're going to keep their statewide and state assembly races uh, in the earlier date because of court orders there so far. Uh, You know, this is a possibility in Missouri. This is a possibility maybe even in Kansas uh, where where we're starting to, where we're still playing around with court and map issues. You know, this is not an issue that's gone away, surprisingly, uh, as this issue has become much more bloody in the way of redistricting. You know, it's not something that we've uh, gotten rid of yet. So uh, uh, New York really is kind of a state to watch right now where we could see Again, you know, separate elections for key races uh, within the, the summer time period. So, you know, it's certainly still something that's going on. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if it happens anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, Governor DeWine won very comfortably. Uh, there were some protest votes, but there, that race was not in doubt. Uh, Nan Wally will uh, match up against him. It's former Dayton mayor. Uh, what line do you put on that? Is that pretty much safe? Is it lean? What do you think for the Governor DeWine? I think for Governor DeWine, it's pretty safe. Uh, you know, he's had some issues with the, as we saw last night, he did get under 50% of the total vote last night, uh, because, because of other candidates, uh, involved in the race. He, uh, his margin of victory was around 20 points. I believe over Jim Renacci, uh, in that race, uh, you know, I, I think DeWine is fine. Most people believe DeWine will win comfortably, you know, uh, Republicans 
they may have been frustrated with him, but they're not very likely to be so frustrated with him that they vote him out, that they vote with him out or vote, don't go the vote uh, for him because they're going to be turning out for other races. Uh, you know, DeWine's popular. You know, he's just kind of the, the similar modal, I think, of Rod Portman in 2016. You know, he's going to be very hard to beat. Nan Whaley's not a bad candidate, I think, by any means. She's been seen as someone as a rising star. But I think her place in the future could be potentially in a Dayton-based congressional seat if a fair map is drawn. I don't think it'll be the governor's office. Uh, we have this currently rated a safe Republican, and it's pretty hard for me to see that change. All right, there was an undercard uh, election that is more Twitter famous than in real life famous, uh, but you and I are Twitter animals, so we're going to talk about it for a second. Uh, Nina Turner, uh, this was a replay of the special election. A lot of people thought this would be closer than it was. Uh, she is a Bernie Sanders AOC uh, in that vein of progressives, and she got absolutely trucked, 70-30 uh, type of split in that. Uh <laughs> I don't even know how to really explain that because I, I didn't think she'd win, but I didn't think it was going to be that bad. Uh, is this one of those Twitter ain't real life moments for our progressive friends of like, OK, you can't just trot people out. And I, I bring it up because I thought uh, your co-host made an excellent point on the uh, broadcast on Elections Daily last night. She didn't run any TV ads. She just tried to do turn out the vote stuff that that model just ain't going to work, is it? Yeah, this was the same. It was the same issues that we saw on the special uh, multiplied by 10. You know, uh, Brown with the incumbency now, she hasn't had any type of scandals or anything. There's been no problems with Charlotte Brown as a congresswoman in Cleveland. Uh, actually, Turner actually probably lost some area that was good to her uh, in the Akron area under this map. This seat is now just entirely a uh, Cuyahoga County and Cleveland. Uh, no longer takes in parts of Summit County and Akron. It wasn't a big part, but it was a part that uh, Turner did better in. So she lost some support there. You know, it's just it's it's not very necessarily easy for me to say that, you know, Nina Turner really had a chance. And it doesn't seem like she learned it all from her race uh, back in the summer regarding the special election. You know, she was kind of just there. And once again, thought, you know, we have this idea among, I think, grassroots that if you just can get out enough of our support, and you just knock doors, you're going to be able to win races. Uh, that's that's not really how these things work. You have to get on TV and you have to get out ads and you have to get out flyers. Uh, if you don't do that, uh, you're not going to see success. Yeah, Joe Zemanski, Elections Daily. They do great breakdown work. Make sure you go to elections-daily.com. All kinds of great stuff. Going to take a quick break when we come back. Uh, these primaries are going to start coming hot and heavy the rest of May. Pretty much every Tuesday, we're going to be doing some voting. We're going to run through those with him. We'll put a bow on Ohio and neighboring Indiana. Had a couple interesting tidbits to talk about. More with Joe Zemanski on Hard Tell right after this. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Uh, welcome back to Her Tell. Joe Zemanski is still joining us, elections-daily.com. Uh, he does great work over there with them. Highly recommend them. Been with them since uh, they first started out, was with them when they got shut down in the middle of an election. We talk about that <laughs> some other time. They've bounced back. They now partnered with Decision Desk HQ. They're big time 
but good guys that just kind of said, hey, we can cover elections better. And they go out and do it. Uh, make sure you follow and support them. OK, uh, real quick. We talked about Ohio next door in Indiana, though. There was a couple of things. What did you see in Indiana? Is there any notable tidbits we need to grab from there? Really, uh, there were two uh, key Republican primaries in Indiana. Uh, one was uh, in Indiana's first district. I'll mention this one first because it was the uh, least, it was the least close of these two key races. Uh, that seat's been drawn. It's only about a Biden plus seven seat. We haven't rated as lean Democratic right now uh, with incumbent Frank Mervan. Uh, Jennifer Ruth Green uh, won the Republican nomination there pretty decisively with over half the vote, I believe. Uh, she's a, um, a, a former vet, she's a veteran and Republican activist in the area. She's someone who can definitely put the seat into play for Republicans uh, come 2022 in the House races. Uh, definitely one of the, probably the best nominee we've seen in what is a right trending seat uh, in this Northwest, in Northwest Indiana, which is one of the uh, more right trending areas of the country. Uh, you know, it's gonna be really interesting to see how this race shapes out. Uh, Ruth Green is expected to get some pretty heavy monetary backing from both the NRCC and uh, other Republican groups. It'll be really fascinating to see how this group goes uh, and how this race goes now that it's between Mervan and uh, Ruth Green as a Republican nominee. Uh, but also I wanna, but the closer race though, and the one that was more interesting, I think was the Indiana 09 primary. Uh, this is a safe Republican seat, uh, but uh, incumbent Congressman Trey Hollingsworth uh, retired uh, this year. He did not run for reelection. So it was uh, basically up between uh, Aaron Houchin, who's a state Senator from Indiana, who was leased by uh, endorsed, excuse me, by Elise Steph Stefanik and her pack, uh, as, and then uh, Mike Sudrell, who was the former representative from this area when it was uh, much more swingy. Uh, he represented this area from 2004 to 2006, and uh, he was endorsed by the Freedom Caucus, uh, but Houchin actually got the victory here uh, by about 10, 11 points, I believe, uh, over Sudrell. Uh, this is a safe Republican seat. Uh, Houchin is another one of many Republican candidates we've seen, especially female ones, in recent cycles endorsed by Elise Stefanik and her pack that have seen success in primaries. Uh, that's, a, that's a good win for Stefanik uh, and definitely gets her a uh, foot soldier in, in the caucus for her. Uh, again, Houchin will be, this will be a safe RC. Houchin will be elected here uh, almost without any doubt. All right, next up, uh, May the 10th, Nebraska and West Virginia. West Virginia is an interesting one, not just because I'm a West Virginia homer, but because you have uh, a semi-rare incumbent versus incumbent because of redistricting. They're losing my home district, the third district. They're going down to just two districts. Uh, and Nebraska, anything in either of those races that jump out at you? Uh, really, I think uh, there's, there's a key race in each state. Obviously, you mentioned the incumbent versus incumbent race uh, in West Virginia for the new first district. Uh, that'll be David McKinley versus Alex Mooney. Actually, I believe it's the new second district, actually. Excuse me, they changed the way they yep, did. Second. Uh, You're right. They did, the, uh, they did the numbering. They had the southmost district now represented by Carol Miller is now the first. And uh, the second is now the combo of McKinley and Mooney's old districts. Uh, this is going to be a fascinating race. Uh, Mooney has uh, kind of endorsed, uh, has positioned himself as the more right-wing uh, candidate. McKinley has positioned himself as the more uh, West, uh, maybe more establishment candidate. I can't say moderate. David McKinley is definitely not a moderate. But uh, one of the big issues that these guys diverge upon is actually the infrastructure bill. Uh, McKinley voted for it while Mooney voted against it. Uh, this is kind of an interesting race. And it will be very interesting to see kind of how we go through uh, loca you know, uh, localities and interest in West Virginia. Uh, one of the attacks that's been routinely used on Mooney is that he's a carpetbagger. Uh, he was actually a state legislator in Maryland uh, for quite a while before deciding to pack up his things just over the border uh, between Maryland and West Virginia uh, to get over uh, to become a congressman in 2014. Mooney has actually routinely underperformed 
uh, considering uh, the numbers in his congressional seat actually probably compared to what a generic West Virginia Republican would do. Uh, but polling so far has been all over the place. Most of it shows has shown a slight Mooney lead, but we haven't gotten any polling since uh, late winter uh, period in this race. So we're kind of going in a bit blind. I'd say Mooney's probably slightly favored, but uh, if regional interests take hold, I could very easily see McKinley uh, pull this one out narrowly. And then we move over to Nebraska. Uh, incumbent Governor Pete Ricketts, the Republican, is term limited. Uh, that means there's going to be a big race, of course, there in the primary for governor. Uh, it's kind of between three candidates right now. Uh, Brett Lidstrom, who's on the more moderate side of the, uh, the uh, in, uh, Nebraska GOP. He's been endorsed by moderate Democrats, Bob Christ and Brad Ashford. Uh, Ashford has actually now recently passed away, so may he rest in peace. Uh, but then there's also a very controversial figure in businessman and big time Trump donor, Charles Herbster. Uh, he he was gotten Trump's endorsement. Trump actually recently did a rally for him there in Nebraska. Uh, but Herbster has come under uh, uh, tens of accusations, uh, over 10 accusations of sexual assault from uh, female members of the uh, Nebraska Senate and Nebraska politics. Uh, that's been a problem for him. And then uh, there's Jeff Pillen. Uh, who's the uh, endorsed by current Governor Rickens. Uh, he's been the leader right now in recent polling, but it's been very narrow between those top three. Uh, so we're kind of flying blind there as well. I don't believe there's been any independent polling of this race from. Uh, mainly Trafalgar is the big one. Uh, we'll see if they release a poll of this race or not uh, before next week. But if they don't, we're going to be kind of flying blind with only uh, internals to look at. So it'll be really fascinating to see kind of where this goes. That one and the McKinley versus Mooney primary are by far and away the two to watch on May 10th, which is kind of a nice little amuse-bouche uh, pre-starter to what we're going to get on May 17th. Yeah, and May 17th, Idaho, Kentucky, and Oregon. It's nice that they're coming to play, but let's be honest here, the two primetime mainline election, North Carolina and Pennsylvania. I know you're salivating over Pennsylvania because that's your backyard, but start with North Carolina. This is another one of those Trump came out. He endorsed Ted Budd. I actually interviewed him a couple weeks ago for radio that really upset the state party. Kind of kind of what you're going to hear about from Ohio, same thing. Really upstate, upset the state party folks when he did that. He didn't tell them ahead of time. He just picked Ted Budd. Ted Budd looks like he's in position to win that race now. Uh, North Carolina, big deal. And then, of course, Pennsylvania is really a mess, and that's your backyard, so you can tee that one up for us. Yeah, well, starting with North Carolina, there's really going to be two key primaries uh, to watch. Uh, actually, three, I think, should be mentioned. Number one is, of course, the Senate primary, but it does seem like we've seen Ted Budd pull, start to pull away. Uh, Budd started campaigning more. He started putting more ads on, on television. Uh, he's starting to pull away from former Governor Pat McCrory, who's a uh, to my knowledge, trying to kind of desperately gain uh, some last second attempts here to get over Bud. Doesn't seem to be working. Uh, I've personally, from my uh, own uh, personal opinion, I always kind of thought that I would like Bud more than McCrory, just because Bud is kind of your typical generic Republican in North Carolina does well. Uh, McCrory has a history as governor. He's got a pretty big legislative record there, and he also lost uh, in 2016 as Trump was winning the state in that governor's race to current Governor Cooper of North Carolina, who's a Democrat. So, you know, there's questions there, I think, about McCrory and uh, electability and maybe would he put deceit in the play. Uh, I think Bud is a decent enough favorite right now. Uh, I would probably give him 80, 20 odds to win this race, quite honestly, uh, barring a shocker. Uh, it would be pretty uh, hard to see uh, Bud not win this race. And then I think really the other key one 
is uh, the Ohio, uh, North Carolina's new 13th congressional district. Uh, the primary is there. That's the new competitive seat in the Sand Hills area uh, through the redistricting process. Uh, that'll be a very fascinating one to watch. Uh, you know, uh, Bo Hines is the Trump endorsed candidate there, but he's come under a lot of accusations about carpetbagging. Uh, people have said he's run, run a poor campaign. Again, a race we haven't really seen a whole lot of polling there for, for a race that's only there in two weeks. Again, kind of flying blind right now. I don't really know who's going to be the favorite there. But it's also fair, I think, to mention right now, North Carolina's 11th district, uh, Madison Cawthorn, who has had uh, what someone probably call uh, a last two weeks of hell uh, from April. Uh, he's had just felt like scandal after scandal came out about Cawthorn, uh, as Tom Tills has put a lot of energy into uh, State Senator Chuck Edwards' campaign to try and knock off Cawthorn. Uh, that's definitely one to watch still. Cawthorn has lost ground in polling, it looks like, compared to where he was previously before Tillis started uh, gaining support for Edwards. That one will still be interesting to watch, I think, come May 17th. Yeah, Cawthorn got code redded by the Republican establishment. There's no doubt that uh, they've decided to run him off because he's got uh, one or two decent primary challengers that anybody would take over him. Uh, also, maybe more stuff coming out on him soon. All right. Try to contain your excitement. <laughs> the Keystone State, Pennsylvania. Uh, the Senate's up. The House is up. The governor's up. Uh, let's start with the Senate. Does anybody really have a good handle on what's going on in this Senate race? You know, at this moment, there does seem to be three candidates right now to watch. That's the Trump-endorsed candidate and Dr. Mehmet Oz, uh, the famous TV uh, uh, TV host. Uh, David McCormick, a businessman from the Pittsburgh area, and uh, Kathy Barnett, a conservative commentator from Montgomery County. You know, this is going to be a really fascinating race to watch here. Uh, you know, Oz has the Trump endorsement, but he got that relatively early. He got that back in early April. Uh, polling since then hasn't really shown him pulling away. Uh, hopefully, we're going to see some Trafalgar results from uh, the state of Pennsylvania soon, hopefully before the end of this week. We've been told there's a poll coming in both that in the GOP primary for Senate and for governor. So hopefully we're going to get some more accurate results soon. Uh, but the real issue I would have to say right now uh, is that Oz probably just because of that Trump endorsement has a little bit of that favorite, uh, but it's not certainly not a closed deal. Uh, there was certainly some anger among Republican uh, base conservatives uh, because uh, Barnett is kind of running on this three-way ticket. Uh, with uh, controversial figures in Doug Mastriano and Teddy Daniels. Uh, they're kind of running as this three-way ticket, so Barnett has that kind of groundswell support. Uh, but Oz still has the Trump endorsement. That's still probably kingmaker. Uh, McCormick is certainly still a player. He's the only one that comes from the western side of the state. Uh, Pennsylvania in primaries has a history of geographic voting because we put counties uh, next to people's names on the primary ballot. So that's going to be key there, too. Still certainly a race to watch. We're going to skip down to the 20... Uh, excuse me, wrong date, 24th, uh, Alabama, Arkansas, the Texas uh, runoff for attorney general, that's the George P. Bush versus Ken Paxton. Uh, that'll be something to pay attention to for a couple of interesting little side points because you have Bush dynasty versus uh, sitting under indictment. That'll be a fun one. Uh, <laughs> but let's let's be honest, the headliner there is one of the races, I've called this the race to watch in the midterms to kind of tell how all this is going to go, especially when it comes to the involvement of one Donald J. Trump Georgia. Uh, this is going to be a very interesting race. They've got the Senate, the House, the Governor, Attorney General, the Secretary of State. Of course, all that goes back to those Georgia runoffs and all the mess that went on there. Let's start with Governor. Um, Trump came out and endorsed Purdue. Purdue is getting run off the board by uh, Governor Brian Kemp. That race looks like it's over. Yeah. 
in fact, uh, post-Trump endorsement, we've rarely seen this Republican primary. So this is where some people are wondering uh, how much effect the Trump endorsement is having in places that have been more typically Republican versus places that have gone Republican in the Trump era. So this is where we're seeing the difference between a state like Georgia and a state like Ohio and the primary voters there. Uh, you know, since that Trump endorsement, uh, Purdue has actually fallen in the polling uh, compared to where he was pre-Trump endorsement. Uh, that's because of two debates uh, where Purdue was was routinely outclassed uh, by Brian Kemp. You know, Kemp, you know, has uh, just out really I sh I'm repeating myself, but he just outclassed uh, Purdue in both debates. Uh, since then, Kemp's been routinely polling around 55 to 58 percent of the vote. Uh, which would get him in the through the runoff position here uh, for for these for for that primary here. That would be a big deal. Uh, that would put him on the level of Herschel Walker, who seems pretty in that uh, GOP Senate primary seems pretty likely to avoid a runoff. Uh, it seems to have always been likely to avoid a runoff right now. Uh, but that if if Kemp is a, a clear winner, that could have effects down the ballot, really in every place except the Secretary of State's race, where it does seem like Brad Raffensperger is going to finish second to, uh, to Congressman Jody Heiss in that uh, primary, and then likely losing the runoff, one would say. Yeah, but uh, to his credit, though, he was supposed to be DOA and not get three votes in the whole state. Yeah. He's made that race competitive, which is interesting enough, but <clears throat> talk about that some other time. All right, the other piece of this, you just mentioned Herschel Walker. Uh, this will be Senator Raphael Warnock. He was He's actually the junior senator from Georgia just because he ran in the special elections. It's funny how these things work out. This is really, really close to when we did this in the Georgia runoff. That race got ugly. It got personal. Walker is up by a couple points in most polling. Once this goes to head to head, how do you see that race shaking out? Same as 2020. You know, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get expensive. Uh, we forget that Georgia in those runoff periods in the span of about a month, we saw about 500 between the two races, between the two runoff races for the Senate. We saw about $500 million in spending on these races, which I mean, come on, that's half a billion dollars. That's a crazy amount to spend on even two things. That's a crazy number to spend. Uh, it's gonna get nasty. It's gonna get expensive in Georgia. Atlanta is an expensive market. Uh, there's a lot of media markets you have to target across the state. Uh, it's gonna get nasty, it's gonna get expensive, but there is kind of this wonder if we're gonna see that swing back in uh, Georgia, you know, either in just heightened Republican turnout in the rural areas and maybe a slight swing back in some of those Atlanta suburbs, you know, we forget that Georgia was still a very, very narrow state in 2020. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how people perform in this race and how Walker performs against Warnock. Uh, this is going to be really kind of one of those headliner races for 2022, for sure. Yeah, we were talking to our friend Jason Downey just a couple of episodes ago. Um, he said it is huge for Brian Kemp to get through without doing a runoff. We know uh, him and Abrams, too, is going to, we assume it's going to be close. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be loud. Uh, this is going to be a rematch for the ages as far as governor electoral politics go. Do you agree with him? Is it a really, really important deal for him to avoid a runoff here? It causes less time in the primary. You don't have to spend money on a primary anymore. It would be a big deal if Kemp avoids a runoff. That means you run right into the general election. Uh, that would give him about four, about four months, basically to basically just go head on against Abrams. That's exactly what he wants. And uh, if he's able to do that, that's a big deal and would probably be a minus for Stacey Abrams and her campaign compared, considering that Kemp is now the incumbent in this potentially our favorite year. Uh, it would be hard for me to say that uh, Kemp would not really, really enjoy a nice little boost 
in our regards in terms of how this race is going to go uh, if he is able to avoid a runoff. Abrams versus Kemp, give me a number. <sighs> Kemp 54, Abrams 46. That wide? I think it could be. I think it could be. All right. Um, Walker and Warnock. Uh, Warnock, uh, Walker 51 and a half, Warnock 49. That's margin of error, my friend. You sure? Yep. <laughs> that close. Uh, uh, we already talked about Heinz is probably going to get the Secretary of State. If Trump doesn't play nice with Brian Kemp, how would that affect this race? You know, that's a really good question. Because uh, we would have, I mean, this, it would be an unprecedented thing really to see uh, sitting uh, a former president go very hard against a person who would have won his party's nomination. You know, that, that would be an unprecedented thing if that were to occur. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I know I hate to hate to say this, but I really don't know how that would go. If Trump would, you know, as he's threatened to do many times, just endorse Stacey Abrams because he hates Brian Kemp that much, you know, you, you wonder who, who would go for that. And that would really kind of, change the effect of things you know uh it, it it would be an unprecedented thing it would be an unprecedented decision in terms of politics uh, one where i i really do not know how that would go he doesn't have to endorse her he just has to go after kemp <laughs> that does seem effect we and this, the georgia runoff effect and here we go again i don't know that that's going to happen either he says he's going to do it so i i think this is going to be the race to watch in the midterms especially when we start projecting 2024 and how much stroke uh president trump's still going to have going forward uh we'll see my friend joe zamansky he does outstanding work all the folks at election-daily.com we have him on we have um sarah stook comes on who does those great history pieces they've got great stuff over there let folks know about elections-daily.com and your social media where they can follow you until we have you back in a couple of weeks because you're going to be a regular this summer buddy i'm just gonna we're gonna pencil you in right now <laughs> uh you can find us as, as uh andrew's been saying all day at elections-daily.com uh, that's our website where you can also sign up for uh, a weekly newsletter that gives you all of our articles from the week, but you can find us on social media at elections underscore daily. Uh, all of our YouTube uh, live streams that we uh, do on our YouTube election, uh, also just named elections daily, uh, also get live streamed directly to our Twitter account as well if you're more interested in watching us there. So give us a like and a follow and you can find me personally at Joseph Samansky, uh, all one word on Twitter. That's where you'll see me post most of my stuff and my and uh, tweet out my an analysis uh, when election day comes around. Yep. He does good work. They do great work. Someday when I'm all grown up, maybe I'll even sneak on one of their live streams with them. We will see. <laughs> uh, Joe Zamansky, thanks for the insight, buddy. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.